Weirdo Weirdo Bookworms Unite! Unite. Do your reading tastes range from dystopian sci-fi to middle-grade fantasy? Dark psychological thrillers to gory body horror? From YA paranormal swords and sorcery? Extraterrestrials? Murder? Mayhem! And beyond! Then we want to share our love of reading with you. Welcome home. Hi, genre junkies. This is Sandra. And this is Scott. Oh, it's a hot day today. It's very, very (laughs) hot. It's so hot. It's like, it's been pretty good. Like, I feel like all things considered, like, it's been pretty good lately. And then today is like crazy hot in our neck of the woods in California. And I'm roasty toasting. Yes, indeed. Heard July was officially the hottest month worldwide on record. That's horrifying. Yeah. Horrifying. Um, huh, global warming. Not a fan. Can we? Fun time. Can we all get in on on stopping that anytime soon? Yeah. Um. So on tonight's episode of Genre Junkies podcast, we are going to be talking about Razorblade Tears, a novel by S. A. Cosby. So this is very very exciting. I can't wait to talk to everybody. But until then, we wanted to share a couple of things. First of all, you may have noticed this episode's a, a tiny bit late. We had friends and family in town. Yeah, we had a like a wedding party thing to go to, mm-hmm. and you know, visiting nieces and nephews, and it just it just life got in the way it just couldn't happen but you know we're pretty we're pretty good about that that doesn't happen too often to us over here at genre junkies but i think especially in the summer and like you know these kind of months this sort of stuff kind of comes up on you a lot more than like around like the holidays but we will be catching up you're gonna get an episode next week at our normal scheduled time so don't trip don't trip you got (laughs) you got plenty of books coming at you so scott um we saw a couple of movies recently, and I think we want to share what what we saw. Yeah, I, I think I should go first yeah. because um, I know how long you might go on yours. I'm not going to try to not go very long at all because I'm roasting. So we saw Suicide Squad, the new one. Hey, Suicide Squad 2. Oh, man. What a great film. It is so good. It is incredibly fun. Um, it, they've, you know, Margot Robbie... Brilliant. She is DC's uh, Robert Downey Jr. Yes. Like, she is fantastic. She's a great influence on the world and the story. Yep. She has done amazing things for that character. You know, so much of the kind of icky stuff with her character from the very first Suicide Squad. Some gazy stuff. Yeah, is... Yeah way fixed and she's you know become super involved from birds of prey and this movie in her character and the development you can tell that she had a love for the character for a long time and um as a long time harley quinn fan i met her like everybody did from the animated series and when i was a, a small child and i'm a huge huge fan of the joker huge fan of harley quinn um i was not disappointed at all with we love birds of prey i liked the first suicide squad movie i actually thought it was yeah, really i fun. thought it was also fun yeah um but this movie is painfully funny like so funny and also heartfelt and it just brings a lot of joy like my face hurt from from smiling but um it's also super violent and gory and yeah. gross and weird it's just it's all the things they they definitely took advantage of their rated R, yeah, while still making it like fun. It wasn't like yes. it wasn't like I mean it, the violence 
was borderline gratuitous, but in a good in a, in good, a good way, artful way, not in a yeah. And yeah. it's like appropriate to be talking about violence with this book too. I love it. Um, <laughs> I also think it's really. I mean, I love James Gunn. I think he's a fantastic writer and director. But I love how they decided to parade out some obscure and weird DC characters and villains and it just like makes you laugh you're just like oh my god this is so great because they're all like real there's like one character that was like made for the movie and that was like it Um, DC their strength is in their villains I think they need to lean in on that and I I mean love it or hate it Joker was outstanding um the suicide squad is the most fun it has that that lighthearted charm yeah. that you're kind of looking for in a superhero movie right. in in you know this period you know where we are today um while having that darker edge that marvel just can't really pull off no and we love marvel obviously we talk about it all the time we're obsessed with marvel and the marvel cinematic universe and tv shows and all that but um they just keep con- continuing to do this really great job of establishing themselves as hi we are not marvel <laughs> you know with their stance on their creativity and um they gotta keep going they gotta keep playing into that and just be their own thing um and they're gonna they're gonna do really well um and this is the best john cena oh my God. i could ever hope for we, uh, we adore john cena and um it's john cena the heel we always wanted yes oh my god exactly it also like soaked in weird patriotism <laughs> exactly which john cena <laughs> is patriotic but i mean he's not that patriotic like as a character <laughs> i mean th- th- this is this character is what john cena could have been if they yeah. uh, made him a heel um so also the green knight though yeah. The Green Knight, though. So my most anticipated film of the year. We are going to be reviewing this on Spooky Slumber Party. So, you know, stay tuned for a full review. Um, I mean, I should I just should I just say? Yeah. So if you guys have been following this podcast for a long time, you know that I am a big sucker and a big nerd for Arthurian lore. And we haven't done a lot of Arthurian lore and retellings on this show, but um, I plan to, you know, it's just because it's all in the timing, but uh, I have some up my sleeve that I want to do. Oh, and A24, my favorite movie studio. I absolutely adored this movie. It, um, it, it just, it really got me on so many levels and I found it breathtaking and beautiful and i just just you know what stay tuned for my absolutely gushing review of this this gorgeous gorgeous film and um i believe you had some news for the green knight too yeah so if you're listening to this you're gonna have time because on thursday there um you don't have to go see it in theaters they're gonna stream it for one night only but you know what i you should Go see it in theaters. (laughs) I think it's worth seeing in theaters if you feel safe enough to go to the theater and see it. But if you don't, um, absolutely take this opportunity to watch it streaming. Right. Okay. So stay tuned. Like I said, stay tuned. Stay tuned. More Arthurian content to come on Genre Junkies and Spooky Slumber Party. But for now, we're going to talk about violence of a different sort. Oh, boy. This is Razorblade Tears, a novel by S.A. Cosby. A black father, a white father, two dead sons, a quest for revenge and redemption. Ike Randolph has been out of jail for 15 years with not so much as a speeding ticket in all that time. But a black man with cops at the door knows to be afraid. 
The last thing he expects to hear is that his son, Isaiah, has been murdered, along with Isaiah's white husband, Derek. Ike had never fully accepted his son, but is devastated by his loss. Derek's father, Buddy Lee, was almost as ashamed of Derek for being gay as Derek was ashamed for his father's criminal record. Buddy Lee still has contacts in the underworld, though, and he wants to know who killed his boy. Ike and Buddy Lee, two ex-cons with little in common other than a criminal past and a love for their dead sons, band together in their desperate desire for revenge. I'm just going to kind of leave it there. There's a little bit more. But I mean, if that synopsis doesn't hook you, I I don't know that we can be friends. It was an immediate grabber for, <laughs> for us. us. I yeah. mean, just like, really? Ooh, uh, uh. I mean, first of all, you have... I mean, we love a good revenge story. We do. We like to say over on the cult show, we're we're some Old Testament bitches. We love revenge. <laughs> but yeah, I love but, revenge. But we both do. Throwing in, you know, race relations and police stuff. Police like the police stuff. It, it's a very modern take on this. It's. I mean, immediately we had to read this book. There's two blurbs about this book that really stand out. One from Michael Connelly, who's you know. <laughs> written a few New York Times bestsellers in his day. Superb cuts right to the heart of the most important questions of our times. And also one from Walter Mosley. Essay Cosby reinvents the American crime novel. Yes. So I want to I, I want to definitely hone in on that because yeah. this is a revenge film. There is a film a, a book. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it is a revenge story. The movie film. <laughs> Help me. There is it's cinematic as heck. It is cinematic as heck. I, I you said heck. It was to be funny. Thank you. Um all of the 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 violence is there. All of the, you know, excitement and and all of that is there but this is really a crime novel as well there's a there's a deep mystery and it it, it kind of you know it's kind of the bad cop bad cop story right when it comes to that kind of thing this is a violent crime book this is a family drama this is (laughs) um mystery this is thriller this is a lot of different genres like um really beautifully overlaid and i just i really think that cosby has such a just has his fingertip on the pulse of it he Mm -hmm. really does um with without further ado let me start with my experience score okay this book was nothing short of an obsession for me i could not put it down i did not want to put it down it was one of those books where i was sad when i wasn't reading it like i was looking at it like you know if i had other stuff to do and i'd be like but i want to be reading you (laughs) but i want to be with you right now razor blade tears um definitely contender for book of the year for me um i just i found it powerful funny at times poignant and um I just love the violence. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This book is a deep obsession for me as well. Now, I uh, read this book 100% audiobook version. Yes, I heard a little bit of it this time. Yes. Yes, you did. That's right, because you listened while we were uh, in the car on one of our very long drives. Yeah. Um, Absolutely outstanding job by Adam Lazar White. Uh, You know, this is too, I mean, I think the people that they get to do audiobooks are are always very good. There's a specific talent. But uh, this one and the last one, just outstanding work. Um, This gentleman, um, Adam, 
has incredible voice control. Mm-hmm. There are so many different character voices that he's able to do that is distinct and original. And a lot of this book is dialogue. Yes, by very distinct characters. And you really need someone who's reading the book to be able to capture a voice for those characters because there's entire chapters where, you know, it's funny. He has a narrator voice, right? Yeah. And there was there's some times in the book where the narrator voice comes in and my first initial reaction is like, oh, was this was this recorded in two different takes in two different studios? And it's like, no, it's just been so long since I heard the narrator voice because yeah. it's been so much dialogue. Right. Um, so yeah, I just have to say this is another book that is absolutely worth uh the audiobook. Um it, I, you had to find somebody special for this. And um for you nerds out there, um Adam Lazare White is the voice actor of Jacob from Mass Effect. Oh, hey, you like Mass Effect. I do very much. And I thought I recognized him and I looked it up. I'm like, yes, that that is it. Um, so S.A. Cosby has written other books. This was both of our first time ever reading anything by him. I but can't can't imagine last. it would be the last. Um, I mean, he, such, such, such a talent. And this book has a lot of message in it. This book has a lot of message in it. And it was obviously very important because these are topics that are crucial to our times. And somehow S.A. Cosby manages to package it so well, like where, like, I mean, (laughs) he would be preaching to the choir for us, but you know what I mean? Like it doesn't come across as preachy. It comes across as just very, why why are we like this? Why are we like this? You know, it makes all these issues feel like, why are people so stupid the way we treat each other? Across the board. Yeah. And one thing that I think that, one thing that I think is important to note is uh, Cosby does not shy away from really going in depth to the roots of homophobia, Mm. racism. Yep. Um, and, and it's specific to these characters. It's yes. not like, oh, this is the only place where it comes from. But right. it is there's a there's a common theme. He does not shy away from really exploring that space, mm-hmm. which is troubling and sad. Right. But leads to a very, you know, very deep characters with yeah. very strong motivations, even outside of the strongest motivation, which is avenging their children. Um, I think we're going to get more into it in the spoiler section where we really talk about the characters because it's kind of hard to just kind of talk about at surface level. But I will say, you know, like when I kind of give the elevator pitch of this book to people, I told them that it's a, you know, book about two fathers, one who's white, one who's black. They're homophobic. Their sons got married and now and they were killed and now they have to treat their sons better than they did in life and show them the love they didn't when they were alive <laughs> by doing the the thing that these two men know how to do. It's what they're good at. They're killers. Yeah. yeah. Um how can I put this succinctly? There were times when I really, really didn't like these characters. Um the thing is though, is that I really grew to love them. Yeah. I grew to care about them deeply but there was times when with ike and buddy lee you know these are not the type of people 
<laughs> that you and I would be friends with, right? Because, well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> namely because of the homophobia. Yes. Namely, I mean, <laughs> anything else aside, criminal, that's, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's just the, like, the way they treated their sons and the way they have these, you know, silly, archaic, weirdly making it about them. They make their kids' sexuality about them. Yeah. And it's, it, which is so weird. <laughs> and their kids were these awesome people and so it's hard for me to like it shows the journey you go on and you get to get such a good introspective look at these guys that you come to love them you do which is which i think is another you know strong theme of this book is just knowing people as people and loving them as people despite their history despite their flaws and what you may consider to be a flaw or not understand. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to Buddy Lee and, and when it comes to Ike, I don't I don't relate to their struggles. Right. You know, they they are both from, you know, a very different world yeah. than I am, but I I love them so much for right. who they are and who they become. Right. And you know, like books you should read books about people who are not you. As we always say, uh, whatever that comes across as diversely, um, because that's how you gain empathy. That's how you gain compassion is by walking in somebody else's shoes for a while. And um, and this is like kind of meta because then these guys really have to do that. You know, like, um, I guess it should go without saying. Uh, I mean, I know this is violent. I know this book is for some people going to be considered too violent. Yeah. but. It's hard for me to not give it mass appeal. appeal. I'm with you. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. I, I, you know. It's hard. Yeah. Well, okay. Last, last episode, we had Caleb on. We did. We love Caleb from the cold show. Our friend. And Caleb is, you know, very sensitive when it comes to some of the things that are in this book. And we'll go into spoiler. We'll go into uh, trigger warnings at the beginning of the spoiler section. Yeah. And my first reaction was like, oh, I don't know. If Caleb could handle this book. And I said, yes, he could. And you you completely convinced me yeah. of that. And that was kind of my last, you know, little pole vault yeah. over <laughs> into Mass Appeal. And I agree. We here at John or Junkies, yeah. we say all the time, it doesn't matter what you read as long as you read. We do. Because you will learn and you will grow from all of those things that you read. Yep. This is a book that you will learn and you will grow from. This is a this is kind of a should read book in my opinion. There's about half the people in our country, we're Americans. <laughs> There's about half the people in our country who don't don't care much for the LGBTQ plus queer spectrum of folks. And they need to read this book. <laughs> they need this book. They and I hope I mean, I'm an idealist and I'm an optimist. And I just, I imagine that there is at least one person, at least one f-ing person who this book changed their heart. That's all, you know, I really hope so. And just lets you see these two salty, <laughs> salt of the earth, <laughs> bloody, <laughs> tiny bit sociopathic individuals. Tiny bit. Tiny bit <laughs> sociopathic individuals. Um, showing love in a very extreme way and it's like may you never have to be where they are 
oh, I just, we got to go to the spoiler section. I'm too excited to Let talk about this. Let's go. And we're going to uh, talk about triggers just at the top of the episode. I mean, at the top of the break. Hey, Bookworm Buddy, don't forget, subscribe, rate, and review. And while you're at it, find us on Instagram at Genre Junkies. Okay, here's a couple of trigger warnings for you. Um, go ahead, Scott. Violence. <laughs> yes, violence. Violence towards children. Violence towards queer people. Yes. Um, and one thing I want to say in regards to that as well, I am not a sensitivity reader for LGBTQ. Nor am I. However, something that I did notice mm-hmm. is that while there are derogatory slurs that are used in the book, yes, they are actually few and far between. Right. Um, a lot of times when a character clearly would be using that, they're either interrupted by a character or a different word that is less incendiary is used instead. Right. Which I, f- I feel I, I felt was a really good move. There's racist and homophobic language in this book. And Scott and I are both um, white. We're both cis and hetero. And, you know, seek out own voices, reviewers, always. Yeah. But from our perspective, we are obsessed with it. (laughs) But anyway, just, you know, just kind of, you know, count your spoons and know what you're doing. But let's, let's go. Let's go. Okay. Um... Can I just start by saying how tragic I feel this whole thing is? First of all, yes, it's tragic about the two sons. It's tragic that they didn't learn to love their sons until they died. Well, they loved them, but they didn't well, learn to yeah to show that love. Yeah. To um, the other thing that is tragic is the two of them feeling that they needed to do this. Sure, um, then we wouldn't have a book. I, on on the one hand. I love that they did it from as as the reader perspective. I love, you know, following that and I wanted that revenge. But there's there's a moment there when Ike tells Buddy Lee, like, I made a promise to my son and and my wife mm. that I wouldn't be this person anymore and I'm not going to do this. And he was pushed into it by Buddy Lee and by his wife, yeah. which actually made me feel a little bit uncomfortable made me feel a little icky i um i think i know what she means so maya his wife i i like her i I found her a great enjoyable oh yeah i think she's a great character um the thing is is she knows her husband she knows the man she married and just like liam neeson he has a particular (laughs) set of skills um there i mean yeah he's become really good at lawn maintenance. He's really good. He's sex, successful su- successful uh, business owner. Successful business owner. <laughs> um, but what he's good at is this. He's good at the shakedown. He's good at intimidation. He's good at interrogating people. He's good at getting answers. He's good at killing. And this is something that he can actually do to serve his son. I, and I and I do feel bad about the false pretenses bit, <laughs> yeah. but at this but I, <laughs> but at the same time I'm like but this is what you do. Well, yeah, the the Buddy Lee part of it, I mean, made me feel very sad because it came in a part in a point oh, where the book when I was point. I was like, but they're friends and they're friends yeah. now. But and after Maya's in the accident, Ariana's yeah. being kidnapped and and, yeah. and realistically, especially at that point in the book, Buddy Lee doesn't know Ike, and um, 
but there's also you know there there is some some deep-seated racism in the way that he treats ike and the way that he thinks of ike in the beginning as well and so it's like it's one of those things where it's not okay but i accept it but like but with with maya Mm -hmm. you know there are things that um i mean not not at all the same thing but there's behaviors that i have had in the past that i don't do anymore there's things that i don't do anymore and because you're part of the reason that's helped me to do that mm-hmm. and i just thought of like if you were encouraging me to pick up those behaviors again to choose violence to, cho- to choose violence um <laughs> uh in a way that that could I mean in my situation it wouldn't be like this but in a way that that potentially really could end his life either yeah. either like literally or or you know spend the rest of his life in jail or you know lose everything that he has at the same time right the way that he treated his son maybe he deserved it if that happened and he didn't grow he he had it's a penance he, he had a will. penance to pay he and buddy lee had a penance to pay and i think that is what kind of i don't i don't know obviously okay hold on is what forgives the violence now hold on hold on i know we're not supposed to get revenge on people <laughs> like i gotcha that's why friends and family can't be on juries <laughs> like i got all this but revenge and wanting to avenge the people who killed or hurt you or your loved ones i mean that's human nature obviously that's why they don't let us be on juries and Detective De La Plata makes a really good point in this book because he's saying, like, you won't stop. You can't stop. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, is in this perfect little snapshot, they actually can. I can Buddy Lee. Well, Buddy Lee doesn't make it. But you know what I mean? This actually, I like, because that would be true, I think, for most people is once you get back in the game, you can't get out again. But what we're seeing here is that for Ike, that's not exactly true. Because now he has reasons to live that he didn't quite have before. And even even before, he had a, you know, the reason he did all of those things was for family. I mean, for the club, but that was his family. Yeah. And it was, it was a pride thing. Yes. But it was also, it was a loyalty thing. It was a singular sense of purpose and belonging. Right. And it really you know what he does in the the course of this book is no different right and this is also a great example of showing us you know ike and buddy lee both talk about the abuse and the things they went through their traumas little t's and big t's in their life and you know it's if you don't get help and you don't face those demons you are doomed to repeat history and they both did by just totally having fucking up royally with their sons um so there's a passage in this book, which I dog-eared here. I'd like to just read it, if I may. You folded the page and everything, you I monster. Did. I did. I did. So this is near the end of the book. Buddy Lee and Ike, they've, they've been around for a little bit. So you do think I'm racist, Buddy Lee said. I think maybe for the first time in your life, you're seeing what the world looks like for people that don't look like you. I mean, you still ignorant as hell, but you learning. But then, so am I. We both learning. We both then said and did shit that we wish we could take back. 
I think if you figure out at one point in your life that you was a terrible person, you can start getting better. Start treating people better. Like, as long as you wouldn't laugh at that joke now, I think you're on the right road. Same as if the next time I get offered a drink, I don't go the hell off and just walk away instead of jacking somebody up because they had the nerve to think I was in a gay bar to meet somebody, Ike said. He held his shot glass up and motioned for the bartender. And (sighs) I mean, I think that's like, in our times, that's one of the most poignant parts of all of this, is they're both terrible people, but they changed. They, they are, they're willing to learn. They're yeah. willing to grow. Um, Eventually. I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent with this, but that sort of attitude makes me think of cancel culture, accountability culture, whatever you want to call it. There are times, a lot of the time, when people deserve to be canceled, they deserve to be called out, they deserve to be held accountable for what they did. If people truly want to change and do change and put their money where their mouth is, I think that means a whole hell of a lot. I really do. You know what I mean? And it's kind of like, maybe Rome wasn't built in a day, but now you're like, you're gaining compassion. You're gaining, you know, all these things. And it's like, okay, the world's not fixed. Everything's not right. But, you know, you, does this make sense what I'm saying? It does. We, and I mean we, everyone across the board, 100%, we all have ingrained prejudices. Mm -hmm. We all have um, scars Mm -hmm. and we're all shaped by the moments of our past, whether we even recognize them or not. Right. And what is important is... Not that mistakes can, what's important is that mistakes can, can be learned from and can be, can be, you can grow. Right. Because we wouldn't still like Ike and Buddy Lee if they didn't change throughout this novel. Oh no. If they stayed homophobic jerk faces until the end, I would have, Yeah, they needed, they needed to grow. It was an important part of this story, both in messaging as well as just in basic storytelling. I think that's a big part of it is that messaging of let people grow, let people have a little room to grow. And, you know, they got to do it, though. You got to do the work. But mm-hmm. that there's there's redemption and there's life after being a bad person. <laughs> and, <laughs> something, up. and something else that's really important to note about both of these characters is neither of them expect to be... Um, celebrated heroes yeah, exactly no neither of no, them no, no, like no. like yeah they their change comes from recognizing the hurt and the pain that they caused yes but they don't there's no point when they um when they get angry at, at someone who is from the lgbtq community yeah who basically calls them out on their bs yes they get called out a couple of times they get called out a lot <laughs> thank and, god you know there's there's such great conversations that happen oh great conversations that that are you know not just a conversation between the characters but really a conversation between the author and you right um but there's no point where it's like, well, we're not we're not homophobic anymore. Everything's better now. <laughs> and so we're yeah, everyone has to treat us like an ally. It's not like that. No, it's all. like you still did like horrible things. And like Buddy Lee um kind of turns that corner a little bit before Ike does. But you know, lest we forget, Buddy Lee beat the shit out of his son once. Yeah. 
you know, when he was a, when he was a child. Um, and that's unforgivable. And nobody is asking us to forgive Buddy Lee, but we can accept Buddy Lee has changed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and and be happy and proud and then like Buddy Lee, even if we don't forgive what he did. And same thing with Ike. Ike wasn't, <laughs> I, you know, one of Ike's big things is that he kept, like we said, both of them made it about themselves a lot. I think Ike really internalized it even more than Buddy Lee, that his son was gay. And he just wanted to know, like, why? Why is it like this? I can't understand. I can't understand this. Someone explain this to me. And it's like, stop making it about you needing to understand. And it took him so long to see that. And I mean, I think the message is, the most important message of all of this is don't wait until the people you love are in the ground to stand up for them. And be accountable for them. Because everybody, like, oh gosh, Buddy Lee's ex-wife, Christina's a great example, is, you know, she cries and weeps and throws a big fit. And Buddy Lee does comfort her. But at the same time, he doesn't coddle her. Because, no, you were a bad mom. <laughs> yeah, you were yeah. horrible. You yeah, were, you were we horrible. both were. Yes. Yeah. And it's too late. It is too late. And now, you know, all the that these men can do is treat their sons better than they did in life. There's a couple of big twists in this book. Yeah. So there's there's two big ones that I can think of. Did, well, there's three. Okay. The first one is that Buddy Lee desiccated the graves. Yes. Um, to put, put a little fire under Ike. <laughs> Wasn't very nice, Buddy Lee. Don't do that. The second one, and I thought a lot about this. So Scott and I are, were major allies. As I said, if you're queer, we love you. We're major allies. I would normally not be a big fan of a trans person being a plot twist. I want to make that very clear. Mm -hmm. And again, if I I would like to seek out, and I suggest we all do, trans folk reviewing this book. However, I think that it was to a point in this book because this was another chance for Ike and Buddy Lee to grow some compassion. Yeah, I think, so first of all, I want to say that maybe it was just me. Did you see that coming? I had a little suspicion with the pictures in the living room. Yeah. Oh, okay, at that point. Yeah. I actually, so maybe, maybe I'm just like galaxy brain or something. I felt that it was actually hinted to fairly strongly because she was part she was in like the the lgbtq like they had that that club that that oh, yeah. refuge yeah um and you know obviously you know sexuality is a, is a spectrum but it was very heavily implied that you know all of her partners were male mm. um so there was kind of, I was like why you know and you know so why is she in like why is she so active with lgbtq but um, there's like no conversation about her. I was like, I think I think that she's I think that that she's trans, right. and I think that that's going to be exactly what it was. It was an opportunity for the two of them to come to grips with their prejudices and and get to know someone as they are, as they always should have with their sons. Yes. And what I find so beautiful about that whole thing, they had a conversation. It, which again was more of a conversation between the author and right. and the reader like so this is the situation right um you know this is what this means this right. is this is what this is and after that 
I mean, I don't know how many pages it was, but it, it was like two minutes in the audiobook. Yeah. She was always, always, always mm-hmm. Tangerine. There Absolutely. was never any other question or doubt. They knew her as Tangerine. Right. They were they respected her like Tangerine. Right. And and that that meant so much. Yes. The way that 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 Tangerine was treated and handled to me. Right. Right. Um. And like you know, the closest thing, as I says, that they have to an ally in that town is Chazzy, because she was always cool with um. I I mean with um Isaiah being gay. <laughs> so like it's just kind of funny. That that line kind of made me laugh because I was like, well, you know, there's there's somebody out there at least. <laughs> but um yeah, I think cuz for these characters, for the messaging of this book, if these guys had known that Tanji was trans, they would have been like, this freak, this is weird. No, you know, people are after, you know, what did this freak do to get our kids killed? You know, but they would have had like that attitude cuz they weren't all the way compassionate yet. Mm-hmm. Um so I think that it was, I, I think it was justified to further teach compassion in, in this instance. But normally, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree. I think that that could have, and and maybe for some people did go too far. Oh, I'm sure. I, I don't, absolutely. I don't want to speak for other people, but yeah, um, I, I loved it. And, then, and I like Tangie a lot too. Yeah. And then the final, the final twist and that was who the killer was. The Gatsby. <laughs> I saw that one coming too. Did oh. you see that one coming? I, I was like, there's, there's, I mean, there's clearly some really rich person above all of this. Yeah. You know, who, who absolutely just cannot, you know, because this kind of wrapped into the whole thing. Like I was thinking about this, you know, early on in the book when I was thinking that Tangerine might be trans. Yeah. It's like, well, that is, you know, they already talked about how absolutely anti-gay pro-life like how conservative yeah uh buddy lee's ex-wife's husband was was it reginald culpepper i was like if he was sleeping with if he was sleeping with a a trans woman that that would absolutely be something that he would need to have just absolutely wiped off the map because he wants to run for office and everything too um I will say it was a good twist because, you know, generally in a in a book like this, you start running out of people who it could be established characters. Mm-hmm. So it kind of was like a process of elimination. It's got to be somehow connected. But they didn't give us a lot of Culpepper, which is what was smart, is yeah. Cosby um, just planted those seeds with Buddy Lee telling us about him and about Christine. So, um... It was a good bait and switch, I would say. Like I, I wasn't shocked by the twist, but I, but I didn't see it coming at the same time. I don't know. It was good. It was good. When you read and you've grown up reading so many mysteries, you know, it it can be hard to be totally, you know, like blindsided yeah. sometimes. But um, but I I digress. Uh, so a couple of things I want to shout out to, Buddy Lee is hilarious. <laughs> Um, sometimes his jokes don't land and I calls him out for it, rightfully so, but he has a lot of funny lines. I like how he and Ike have a little bit of separate journeys to get to their compassionate places. And I think a big part of Ike's is, I mean, I'm sorry, a big part of Buddy Lee's is that he's dying. Um, and he's like, okay, do I want to go to my grave not making this right? Do I want to go to my grave that I was an asshole to my kid? And I think that 
that says a lot about his outlook. And he's very much like he's willing to do that thing with the graves and everything else because he has nothing to lose. Um, It's a very freeing place to write a character from. And I love that he really just bonds with Ariana super fast. I think it's so cute. I love that Ike and Ariana got there. But I thought it was really cute with, with Buddy Lee. I was afraid very early on that Ariana was going to get involved. Yes, and, precious baby. And of course she was. And, it, you know, there's, 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 a, there's a level in this book where, okay, it's a book and you know, you're you're actually kind of like excited a little bit for the for the revenge themed violence yes. and all that kind of stuff. And involving her in that final scene <gasps> made everything so urgent. Yes. And frightening. And you know, I I don't want to uh, it's not that I think that it's it's a good thing to just always include a child or a dog to make the emotional, you know, to make, to, to add emotional weight to a story. But yeah. I actually think this book did need something along the lines of someone who, yeah, who is innocent. Who is true, innocent, true innocent amongst all of these people who did wrong and who did wrongly to their loved ones. We needed somebody who was just a clean freaking slate. And it was incredibly effective because even then they're, you know, you, I mean, you know that they're going to blow everybody up, Yeah. but you're like, and you know, if it was just them, it's like, all right, they're going to blow everybody up yeah. and hopefully they'll survive it. Yeah. But they're, they're, they're historically garbage human beings. <laughs> so, you know, oh, if this is how they go out in a blaze of glory, fine. But when you involve her, it's like, oh, God, cover her ears. Don't yeah. let her eardrums burst. Help like, her, yeah. Like, don't let her, like, let her be okay. Let her yeah. not, like, have a, oh. Um, one thing that I really appreciate, too, is uh, Tanji gets a happy ending. We shouldn't, I mean, her story is not over. She's still young and she still has a lot of life to live. But um, she's in their family now and. And I love that. I think that's just very rewarding to me. Um, I love a villain. We, we love a villain, but I especially love villains. And this does a great job of giving us Ike and Buddy Lee, who are have a lot of villainous attributes and who are who were at some points garbage human beings, <laughs> namely because of the homophobia towards their children. But um, they but they have the violence. They have the slickness. They're actually smarter than a lot of criminals out there. I love their big... I, I mean, it almost felt like a heist to me, this setup at the end of the book. Oh, yeah. So I love that this book gave me more or less lovable villains. Every once in a while, you encounter a villain who is so unlovable. <laughs> I am looking at Grayson. My God, I hated that man. And when it was one of the little bits where it was from his perspective, I had anxiety. I was just like, God, I felt like ill because I just disliked him so much. And he's so unhinged. I mean, the rest of the club even doesn't like him. Well, yeah, I mean, everyone else, whether I mean, I'm not saying that it, that they are good reasons, but everyone else has a motivation for why they make the choices that they do. Yeah. I mean, at not to there's no justification for some of the things that other people in this book do. Yeah. But Grayson is just like 
pridefully evil. He's, well, and I mean, and he's racist and homophobic with no remorse and no chance of changing. He is absolutely fine with murdering a small child. I mean, like, seriously, like his, like just seeing him in the, on the page, I would just get such anxiety because I was like, I just, I, we need to get rid of him, guys. Dads, dads, <laughs> we need to get rid of him, please. And I think it's, I think it's nice. I think it was important to have a character like him where there's so much evil yeah. and there's so much, you know, there's, there's so much dislike that you have for so many characters, even the ones that you're following and you are falling in love with that to have, to have someone out there in comparison who is in the depths of evil is, is an important side by side comparison to be made. Did you have a favorite (laughs) violence blood sport moment? Cause I did. It was beating up the hipsters. I, I, (laughs) <laughs> and then later when buddy lisa one of them hopped on their unicycle i mean god i just get those hipsters get those get those nasty hipsters out of here um i i think the most powerful one for me and i thought would have been your favorite was the um was the scene with the thing that you pat down the dirt with oh yes i could disgustingly visualize that yes um a lot of everyday objects get turned into uh, get turned into something else here, and that's I think part of the the brilliance of like I said, it almost feels heist like how he was able to is a tamper how he was able to be like oh yeah these guys can't legally have guns how about a tamper though or you know how about this or how about that and um, when Ike gets sold out by his old crewmate too yeah. And that made me so, oh my God, I was so mad. And that was another great example of his his growing. But, um, sorry, that was just, I digress. But, um, you know, they can't have explosives. Oh, but they do have fertilizer. You know, just smart, mm-hmm. smart little ways like that. Smarter than anyone, everyone else out there, one step ahead yeah. the whole way. I'm so glad that I came to love these characters and that they learned compassion I, and and pr- and in their way and in the way of this story put their money where their mouth was you know <laughs> they they wanted to change they wanted to be better and so they they made the they 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 made the world better through their actions <laughs> <laughs> through their violent violent actions um i this is another one of those books i'm going to have a hard time ever believing that they aren't out there that ike is not a real person that Tanji and Jazzy and Maya and Ariana aren't all real people, that it feels so real to me. It feels so real to me, and they feel so real. And obviously that's because a lot of this is so based in reality. Um, I was very, very moved at so many points in this book. Um, I especially love Ike going to the boys' graves and Buddy Lee's grave. <sighs> I had my Sandra cry, oh, yeah. patented Sandra cry, a few times in this book. Yeah, if you are if you're um if you're listening to this book on audiobook, don't listen to the last chapter while you're driving. It's not tears. a good idea. Tears. Not a good idea. Tears, real tears, like sobbing tears. It goes without saying, this book gets ten out of ten tampers. <laughs> uh, I agree. This is full ten out of ten. Uh a competitor for 
my favorite read of the year. This is definitely a competitor for book of the year. And we've, you know, it's getting to that time of year where there's a, there's <laughs> a lot and they're coming back to back to back. But this was, this was really powerful. And um, I'm going to remember this one for a long time. And this will also be one that, you know, a year from now, like, what was that movie we watched? Yes. With this scene in it. This is one of those very that torture scene in it. Yeah. Okay, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. I've been Sandra. I've been Scott. Please keep reading past your bedtime. Mm-hmm.